0: we mm-hmm. Everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode 40 of X Lapsed. We've made it 40 whole episodes. How about that? I'm a little less raspy today. Uh, drinking a uh, a pure Lacroix. Pure is a is a, the I guess the pretentious way of saying you know flavorless. It's plain, regular. But uh, that's what I'm drinking right now. So hopefully that'll uh, that'll help us get through the next uh, half hour or so, right? Uh, Today, we're going to be taking a look at X-Force, Volume 6, Number 5. This had a March 2020 cover date. Stories called Necessary Force, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Joshua Cassara, Colors by Dean White and Rachel Rosenberg. Letters, VCs Joe Caramagna. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Robinson white Sabalski Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale January 8th of this very year, 2020. Now, we pick up Well, we pick up right where we left off last issue uh, On the other side of that shut down Krakoan portal And it's here that we rejoin the top half of Wolverine And uh, Quentin Quire's severed head The grunts, I'm assuming they're with Xeno, maybe Maybe we'll find out a little bit more as we go But these grunts comment that Wolverine looks like he's still alive and somehow not knowing anything about Wolverine nor his mutant healing ability they simply assume he'll be dead soon enough and decide to leave him to die do they do they really not know who Wolverine is i mean come on i yeah i get that they sort of have to leave him to live for the rest of the story to actually play out but this is like brain dead dumb here isn't it i mean just 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 waste him it, it's it's only half of him and he's he's out cold Uh, Now we hop back to the other side of that busted portal Where we rejoin the bottom half of Wolverine The shoulders-down parts of Quentin And a whole domino Now the latter is trying to keep contact with her partners Well, Wolverine anyway I'm not sure she could, you know, give a rat's ass about Quire She says she'll do whatever she can to save him Again, this is to Wolverine, not Quire After all, Wolverine saved her in Korea a couple issues back So fair is fair, one good turn deserves another Let's hop into the roll call. Forge, Sage, Beast, Domino, Gateway, Wolverine, Marvel Girl. Uh, Poor Quentin Quire's head doesn't even get a a little box here, which I'm a little bit surprised, because that seems like an easy, low-hanging fruit sort of joke to make, which is kind of what these Dawn of X books have been doing. From here we go to credits, then back to comics, and back to Krakoa. We're at the point with Sage and Beast, and they're chatting up Domino. They're trying to deduce the most expedient way of getting her to the San Francisco Pharmax lab Now, the closest usable portal would drop her about 10 miles away Makes me wonder if maybe there's a Kirkoan portal in every Walmart parking lot or something You know, it's a a good place to put them Unfortunately, that's not close enough And so, Sage suggests that maybe they try and get a hold of Gateway And uh, it feels like we're seeing him an awful lot, which... I don't know I feel like that's kind of weird considering that Krakoa more or less makes his mutant ability redundant, but we're seeing him. We're seeing him an awful lot. So, we head to whatever mountain gateway is is meditating atop, and he is soon joined by a floral and veg horror that is Black Tom Cassidy, who spends an entire page trying to get the little guy's attention. He finally does, with some pretty threatening words, and now we're in business. From here we go to an info page. It's eight bloated paragraphs about Black Tom's uncertainty. Nope. Sorry, don't care enough. Not gonna do it. Back to Domino, and she's still talking to Wolverine while dragging his lower half along with her. Whether he has the foggiest idea she's actually talking to him, we don't know. Now she mentions to uh, perhaps nobody except us that her mutant luck powers feel like they're fading. She compares it to, like, a, uh, a rabbit's foot with all the hair rubbed off, which is kind of gross, but what are you going to do? Uh, she's then joined by Forge, who's decked out in a gross, organic, mech-like suit of armor. He informs Domino that he's going to join her on the recon mission, and he still comes across as rather the chucklehead. We jump back to San Francisco when the grunts rifle through the lab. They're looking for some Cohen stuff to steal. While they stand around and talk, they suddenly find themselves under attack by the top half of Wolverine. Duh. Wolverine kills at least one of them, impaling them on his claws. And then another uh, grunt here lets loose with their rifle, which perforates Wolverine pretty good. They don't have any time to celebrate, however, as the cavalry has arrived. And of course, the cavalry is Domino, Forge, and Wolverine's bottom half. Back to the point, uh, Beast discovers that these guys never got around to severing the surveillance feed... Who trained these guys? I, I mean... First they leave Wolverine to heal up, and then they leave the cameras rolling. Uh, the point here, and, and yeah, we've we really got to suspend our disbelief, Beast and Sage can now watch anything that's going on at the lab, which is very convenient for the story. Now, Beast is hopeful that Domino respects the law of the Quiet Council, you know, kill no man. Even though X-Force is officially exempt from that rule. So there's that. He just hopes that, the, that there are survivors so they can question them after the fact. And he tries to impress this upon Domino, but at the moment she's in too much of a rage to really make any assurances. Now as Domino does her thing, Forge heads over to the top half of Wolverine and then scrunches the bottom half back onto him. So he's holding them together so he can heal and fuse and all that good stuff. We see a helicopter flying overhead, but then Gateway blips into the cockpit, stares at the pilot... Blips out, and then the chopper goes down. I'm not sure exactly what we just saw here, but whatever. Back inside, Domino and Forge keep on keeping on. We're down to one grunt who gives himself up. You know, white flag and all that. He gives up. Starts reading his, giving his name, his date of birth, all this stuff to please spare me. Uh, now, Domino approaches, and it looks like she's going to swiftly take this fool out. But Beast presses the importance of leaving at least one survivor for questioning. And so Domino spares the guy. From here, we pop over to the sunset cliffs of Krakoa, and it's later on. And it's here that Wolverine and Domino do a little catching up, and we learn that Quentin Quire is, you know, he's dead, but he's cooking in the hatchery, so he'll be back soon enough. We wrap up in an undisclosed room in Krakoa, where Beast is in full-on interrogation mode. He tries getting some information out of the grunt. He does not get much. He just learns that mutants are now at the top of the food chain, and as such, they're going to be everybody's target. And yeah, that stands to reason. That's actually a really good explanation. You know, he's wondering why everybody's targeting mutants, and it's like, well, mutants are, you you guys are the top now, so everyone's going to gun for you. It's nothing personal. It's just that you guys are number one, and everyone wants to be number one. So I like that as an explanation. Beast then calls Jean in to try to put the geek through some telepathic paces, and she really doesn't get all that much in the way of new information. Just that the leader of Zeno has a peacock tattoo, and is this supposed to be a huge revelation? Like, like, were we supposed to not think these grunts were somehow associated with Zeno? I don't know. Now that's where we end the story, but the issue goes on to include another info page about the group known as Merck. And I'm guessing that these grunts were part of this group called, called Merck? And it's all very boring, so I'm not going to even bother you with it. But that is the end of the issue, at the end of X-Force uh, number five here. Next, we're going to be talking about, thankfully, the penultimate issue of Fallen Angels. So, if you're one of the handful of people who still tunes in for that day, well, <laughs> we got two more of them. Uh, before we do that, though, let's uh, let's talk about what we just read. Honestly, this wasn't bad, um, though. There were a lot of lucky leaps in logic in order to make the story work. And I mean, yeah, this is comics, of course. And we're, we're sort of used to that sort of thing happening. Um, it's just that... Uh, it's just kind of what makes these stories happen, right? But it's usually that the seams aren't quite as visible as they are right here. I mean, leaving Wolverine alive? There's zero excuse for that. Uh, If you let Wolverine live, you you sort of deserve anything that comes next, right? Uh, That's just just silliness. Also, not severing the surveillance feed? Are are these mercs first-timers or what? This is like the most basic thing to do. Unless, of course, they were advised not to, though I couldn't imagine why that would be. Uh, I'm happy to report that there was only really one forced conversation in this. And even though it was forced, it wasn't half bad. And I'm referring to the uh, interrogation scene between Beast and Bill, the surviving merc. And part of that goes into the fact that uh, Bill is worried about his dog. He's worried, you know, that nobody's going to feed his dog. Something's going to happen to his dog. And Beast kind of flips out that this killer cares more about his dog than, you know, actual people. And I feel like this taps into, like, some very basic feelings in people. Um... I think a lot of us have similar reactions when comparing pets to people. There may be something like hardwired into many of us that we become like more apt to be outraged seeing a dog mistreated than a human. I I think this was an interesting aside to their conversation. Uh though beast's anger here it doesn't feel quite right. It feels like he's playing a part rather than you know being intrinsically angry, which very well might be. I mean, he's a smart dude. He knows how to how to put on, you know, put on airs for people and to get a, to get what he wants. Um, but yeah, this it felt very much like Beast was playing a role, and I'm not sure. With as heavy-handed and as forced as a lot of this dialogue has been throughout our X Force adventure to this point, I can't rightly say that he was, put, you know, that he is putting on airs here. I think this is just him. Uh, now Quentin Quire, he is revealed as being dead. And uh, I wonder if this is his first ever death It actually might be Now let's talk a little bit About mutant deaths here Right This is a new era we're in We can all agree on that It still bugs me how easily The X-Men can shrug off the death of their teammates I mean Resurrection is the watchword here Right But still Let's think about it here Does that change the fact that someone close to them Just experienced death I mean uh, uh, this isn't getting a splinter y- even though it's you know it's fixed just as quickly I mean you're dying Quentin Quire is dead he was killed and he experienced death and uh here we have domino and wolverine I mean when he comes back he's not going to know that he experienced death because he's he they're going to use a, an older imprint right this isn't going to be a post death imprint so he's not going to know that he experienced it but the flippancy here, I mean, Domino and Wolverine are very, very flippant about it, and I don't like it. I really don't like it. Uh what else happened here? Uh Forge, he's still a chucklehead. Uh, feels very much out of character for him to be quite this like hokey jokey. And um him him having pet names for Wolverine, calling him short stack over Come on. That's not that's ugh. Overall, um, I th- I think I can only hope that this Zeno and Merc story might be resolved in our upcoming sixth issue. That is the Marvel method, after all. Though, if I'm being honest, this doesn't this story doesn't feel quite ready to be done just yet. I guess we'll I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, I guess in closing out our thoughts or my thoughts on X Force number five, this was worlds better than last issue, but still. I'm not sure if it's something I'd continue reading if not for this show because it's uh, it's off-putting it's uh, and, and a lot of that has to do with uh, it's it's both flippant and forced and I and I don't like the tone I don't like the tone but uh, we will keep at it and uh, we will get back to it before you know it it feels like I blink and we're and we're back to uh, you know <laughs> we're back to in the rotation again so we'll see. But before I let you all go, let's hit the mailbag here. we got a trio of uh, correspondents to attend to here. I'm going to start with Damien, and he's talking about Marauders number five. He says, There's something wonderful about rereading Marauders along with you and the way that your comments spark ideas in my head. You return to Kitty's drinking, which is a feature of the book that slightly annoys me. But as I was looking at the pages, I noticed that Kitty is drawn at the meeting with Shaw slumped over drunkenly, but she isn't touching her glass of wine. Then she meets Emma at the Red Keep, pours a drink, sips it, and then pours it away. I wonder if they're trying to imply that Kitty is trying to act like a drunk to fit into the pirate stereotype, but is actually sober. I'd really not noticed those details until I looked at it again in the light of what you said. It's weird that I've read and reread every issue of Marauders and I never noticed that. And I tell you what, that's something that I never noticed either. Um, I, th- I very much think you're onto something here. And uh from this point on I will be sure to be a lot more vigilant when it comes to you know seeing just how much of Kitty's drink is getting drunk. That's uh, if if that is the case then I take it all back. <laughs> because that is a uh, that's some very very uh good attention to detail which clearly I don't have. But uh no that is that's really cool. I I hope that uh that I notice more of that as we go along and we can we could start paying, paying more mind to that to, to see that Kitty might be She might be living up to a, uh, a stereotype So that, that's, that's very, very cool uh, Damien continues It's interesting to hear you question How people reacted to Iceman coming out Like you, I had given up on Bendis' X-Men But I picked up issue 600 of Uncanny Solely for the Paul Smith variant cover Of Callisto and the Morlocks This means I read the scene Where young Bobby asked older Bobby Why he was lying to himself and I know I have Uncanny 600. I just don't think I ever read it. So maybe one of these days I will to see how that played out. Um, but I had uh, I had gone from reading mode to just buying mode at that point. So I was just buying things to keep my completionist status, uh, you know, my my X, X-Men zombie card, you know, punched and up to date. But uh, I was not enjoying it, so I was not reading it. So maybe one of these days. Uh, Damien continues... I am gay, and as a kid, my favorite comic was X-Factor, and the characters I most identified with were Iceman and Richter. Both of them felt to me felt like me, so it's weird to me that both were later revealed as gay. That This doesn't mean I love everything that's been done with Iceman since. At times, I think there's been a tendency to make gayness Bobby's only character trait. He's been, he has to be throwing himself at every man he sees. I quite like the way his sexuality has been dealt with in Marauders. I like the fact that he is putting his responsibility to Kitty and his found family above his romantic life. Turning down Christian for Kitty feels authentic and a step up from the boy-crazy characterization of recent years. And this is interesting. A couple of points. Um, It reminds me of uh, my time that I romanticized so much. My time on Usenet back in the mid-1990s. You know, dialing up on AOL and finding my way to rack... Arts, Marvel, X-Books, whatever the hell it was But uh, I spent many, many hours there And I remember a lot of X-Fans of the day They would talk about characters that they thought were were gay Um, And Bobby and Richter, also Shatterstar, would always come up I mean, and all three of them have been revealed later on So when these changes were made, I was initially kind of annoyed I I felt like the creators were pandering Um, I feel like... uh, the writers we started getting after the turn of the century were—they were online. You know, they were online people. They were fans, just like me, who would be on the message boards. And I felt like the creators were pandering, and rather than creating new characters, which is just something you don't do anymore, uh, they were going to go against established continuity to collect, you know, political clout. And it's here that I'm reading your message, Damien, and I'm starting to see this... uh, I I have been seeing this differently, but this is really driving the point home here. Um, If readers and fans of the X-Men most identified with certain characters for certain reasons, it might stand to reason that these changes are a bit more organic than I originally thought. You know, I believe very much in representation and identification. I mean, at the very basic level here, I identified with Cyclops because... He and I both have dark hair and wear glasses, so I totally get that. But uh, but uh, that's very very interesting, and uh, and those were the names that always came up, and, and here we are, uh, you know, a quarter century later, and this is all you know, come to pass, right? Um, now I'm also very very happy that you mentioned Bobby being boy crazy up to this point. Mostly because I didn't feel comfortable broaching the subject myself um, This felt very, very forced to me And kind of out of nowhere If I didn't know any better, I would have I guessed it was parody um, It just didn't feel... It felt like such an overcorrection um, And so artificial to me uh, That it, it almost felt like it was doing a disservice To, to the people it was trying to represent I did not care for for that, and you're you're 100% right. His uh, the way they're treating him in Marauders is, is a whole lot better. Is so mu- is worlds better than uh, than seeing him, in some earlier works. Uh, back to Damien, he says one of the best elements of this book is the use of X-Men history, Kitty and Emma, all the upstarts references, the fact that Storm doesn't need powers, the web of friendship between the characters, etc all these little details help to enrich the story and feel like little presents to us long-term readers it genuinely feels like they're valuing, valuing us older readers i don't know why more comics don't value their history we're in the era of everything being on marvel unlimited so it's not like you lose the new guys as they can explore the old stuff in a way i never could back in 1986 and yes you're you're you know your mouth to god's ears right uh marvel and DC, I feel like so much of the new breed of creators, they view continuity as a prison rather than an opportunity. Um, and most of them, most of them aren't talented enough to use it the way it should be used. Um, because continuity is is a goldmine. Uh, there's just so much there to play with if you have the talent, ability, and uh, and I guess just the the willingness. To play a ball where it lie, right? I also feel like this side of the year 2000, many comic fans think that they're too cool for continuity. Um, which, I mean, that's another thing altogether. I really wish more books were like Marauders, in that they actually see the value in the stories that have already been established. It's sadly quite the rarity, you know? It's, it's you know, <laughs> we're in the, uh, the era of revamp, reboot, relaunch, and... Not much else So when we get something like Marauders It is uh, It's something that you know we gotta hold on to Right um, Damien continues here It's also interesting to hear your philosophy of reviews I must say I'm not a fan of scoring comics It's so arbitrary That it can never truly mean anything I tend to ignore scores when I read a review As I'm, try- as I'm really trying to find out What they liked and disliked about a book Which will give me more useful information Than any score it's possible to identify something I like from a negative review and something I'll hate from a positive one. I think I'm loving x so much because your style is not just say what you think but to dig into why you like or dislike it and I really appreciate that um, and uh, yes me me in reviews the 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 uh, reviewer hive mind um I, I I have such a problem with uh, with reviews especially the numbered ones. Um, I feel like if you're going to set out to review something, you need to do it honestly, and you need to explain why. I mean, it's easy for any knucklehead to poo-poo any book, especially if it goes along with the prevailing hive-mind mentality. It's much harder to poo-poo a book and actually explain why you're doing it. I mean, we've all seen Rob Liefeld books, and it's like, Durher, he can't draw feet, so therefore this book sucks. Oh, what what, did you read it? (laughs) Did you actually flip through it? Did you? Could you tell me why? Besides the fact that Durher he can't draw feet, help me. You know Uh, because when I look at a Rob Liefeld book, I see popcorn comics, and sometimes you need popcorn comics, right? Sometimes that's just what the doctor ordered. Uh, Now, like, let's look at this very episode here. I said I liked the book, but I pointed out reasons why I did things that I didn't like. If I wanted this episode to get a bit more play and a bit more, you know, circulation in the community, I'd shout from the rooftops that despite all my complaints, it's still a 10 out of 10. I'd make sure Ben Percy finds out. It's not like he'll listen to the show and hear my complaints, because a 10 out of 10 is all the pros are looking for anymore. And this is the monster that low-effort reviewers have created. This is 100% on the reviewers We've told people they're perfect And uh, when they hear otherwise They question why It shouldn't be that way But unfortunately it is Uh, Damien wraps up with I can't wait for you to get to the next issue of Marauders It hit me like an anvil And I'm always looking forward to Marauders But now I'm looking forward to it even more so, we will get to that in a few episodes. But thank you so much for writing in here. I definitely value your uh, your thoughts on um, on Iceman um, because I don't know. I was very uncomfortable talking about it myself because I don't have any sort of frame or reference for it. But I definitely appreciate you uh, you chipping in there. Thank you. Uh, next, we have an email from Al Sedano, and he is still working his way through Hoxpox here, and he is up to the big shoe drop issue. This is House of X number five. He says, "Well, this was an interesting issue. It sounded to me like you didn't have as much of an issue with the resurrections as you thought you would. I know I enjoyed it more than some that have happened in the past, and I think I'd, I think it's because it's set up that it can only happen in a very specific way." There are plenty of ways it could go wrong, and that leaves plenty of story potential. Instead of just a blanket, they can come back. Plus, they made Gold Balls important. How about that? Even if he never gets a speaking line, he's not a joke anymore. And yeah, I, I came around pretty quickly to the idea, and didn't even mind the fact that Gold Balls was involved with it. Um, I mean, I feel like the concept is a sound one. Unfortunately, I mean, we are you know, f- just about five issues into every single book here. And it it feels like we're you know we're kind of facing the law of diminishing returns. I think it's being, I mean, it's there to be exploited, but I feel like I feel like it's happening a little bit too much. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know what I expected because I mean this is this is what it is, right? So I don't know why I would expect them not to use it as often as they want to, but uh, at the same time, I didn't think they'd be using it quite as much as they have been. Uh, Al continues I think I was more okay with, than you With Storm in the role of High Priestess It kind of fits if you think of her background She literally, she grew up literally worshipped as a goddess And yeah, I get that But, I mean, this kind of sounded like The rantings of an insane woman It sounded very, very um. sounded very evangelical In a way Just like very yeah, Very red-faced and sweaty <laughs> I don't know uh, Al continues Of course, there is the question, is this a cult Or is it going to be more the the official Religion of Krakoa, like the Church Of England? I guess it depends on If everyone gets that excited all the Time, or just for resurrections Though, that could be interesting if we do get some Fanatics And we will find out about some Weird human cults as we enter Dawn of X Um, But despite the fact that we are getting Deaths and resurrections here, we're not We're not really seeing much of this Outside of, uh just a couple of times, right? Uh, we saw it in Hawksbox, of course And I think we saw it again When they brought back Shinobi Shaw In Flashback But I, I'm trying to think if we've had other You know, big sh- d- storm doing the presentations I, I can't think of one I could be mistaken, though uh, Al continues Honestly, I was more weirded out by the fact that the team That was brought back were all nude in front of everyone Wasn't there time to let them put on some pants first? And I think someone else mentioned this and my guess, best guess then and now was uh, that maybe this was a comparison to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were nude, but also without shame, so they like didn't even realize that they had anything to be ashamed of. I could be wrong, uh, but I, I feel like Hickman, Hickman is hitting us pretty hard with the religious allegory, so it might be something like that. Uh, Al continues. By the way, I was thinking the same thing about Catholic mass that you were. It's been years since I've been to one, and I'm sure I still know all the lines and blocking. It's weird how that stuff sticks with you. Yeah, hundred percent. Those responses are like almost automatic. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it, even in other languages. As I mentioned uh, before, I was at a I was at a Spanish language uh, mass uh, wedding in mass, and. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like such a automatic reaction. It's it's pretty funny. Uh, Al continues, So the bodies they gave Proteus are all Xavier bodies. That's interesting. Wonder why they give him that body. Is it easier for Xavier to control him if necessary? And I think I made the guess, following the brief death of Professor X, that, that Al doesn't know about yet, <laughs> that maybe they always have some spare Xavier bodies in the cooker, just in case. Because, you know, he is... Probably the most valuable guy there, so it's they got to make sure he's always, you know, in play. And maybe as such, it's just more convenient to plop all Proteus into one of them if they've just got a bunch of them cooking anyway. That's just my head cannon, my own hot take. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Al continues. Damn, I love Emma Frost, and I'm with you. She was uh, very well done. Um, she's been she's been great of late. Uh, back to Al, he says. When you started talking about political intrigue, the Enemy of the State story from Priest Black Panther was the first thing I thought of, too. If they want to do a book about that, they should get him to write it. I'd buy that monthly. And yes, Priest is the probably the perfect guy to write something like that. Uh, he was never too heavy-handed, and he didn't resort to strawmanning, the way so many other comics writers probably would and do. I remember really enjoying that story, and I mean, hell, that whole volume of Black Panther was a treat. And uh, probably one that we fans didn't even deserve. <laughs> we were we were luckier than we than we really deserved to be when we had, when we got that book. Uh, back to Ali says. So now the evil mutants have joined. Wow, like you said, hopefully it won't be just mutants versus heroes, but I'm sure there'll be some of that. I'm positive we'll get mutants versus humans. That's a given. I'm wondering if we will get some stories about dissenters. In every society, there are some who disagree or even hate it. Will that happen here? What if some of them are former X-Men? It's one thing to be a revolutionary, but not all of them can transition to be a productive member after they win. And we've seen we've seen folks choose not to come to Krakoa. I mean, we see that in uh, New Mutants right now with Beak. Uh, Professor X visited Namor, and Namor turned him down. So we've seen people choose not to go to Krakoa. But I don't think we've seen anything like a dissenter just yet. Um... Like someone who will like revolt, someone who will fight the power. You know, that does pose itself as a very interesting story somewhere down the line. I, I I'm trying to think of who that might be, and uh, I mean, I think I feel like we've seen so many people, so I don't know who we haven't seen just yet. But uh, I think that could be very interesting. That could be something worth digging into. I mean, we already know that Quinan doesn't want to be there, and she doesn't really doesn't really feel at home there. Maybe maybe she'll do something. <laughs> it would be the first time she did something interesting, so there's that. Uh, now, Al wraps up with, one last thing. You were responding to feedback about the limits of telepathy. From what I remember, neither Xavier or Jean was able to normally push their minds past Earth. The only time I remember Jean doing it was when she was Phoenix, and while Xavier did connect to, L- to Lalandra before they met, that was only a vague, li- dr- vague dreamlike image. And yeah, that was my bad. Um, I could have sworn I'd seen them communicate even through space, but I suppose I'm wrong. I I, I guess I just uh, overestimated his powers. <laughs> so uh, Al, cl- Al closes out with, "Sorry, this was so long. There was just a lot in this issue." Until next time, and never apologize about the length. I, I love reading long messages here. I love uh, I love getting all the details and uh, comparing notes and stuff. So that's that's very very cool. So thank you for uh, for keeping on with me here and uh, and writing on in. Uh, We're going to wrap up with a letter from Jody Yarden. Now he is a uh, one of the co-hosts on From Claremont to Claremont, and a really good pal of mine. And uh, he's the guy who bought X-Men Volume Two, Number Thirteen, as his first book, just like I did. And he sent me an email that was called "The Hottest Take," and it's about New Mutants Number Five. He says, Brother Sheehan, I have to be honest, I'm not sure if it's my affinity for Wolverine and the X-Men, my lack thereof for some of the classic New Mutants Generation X lineup, or my absolute dislike of the Shi'ar, but I'm actually enjoying the farm portion of New Mutants way more than the space portion. In fact, if not for your show, I wouldn't have made it to issue two. Keep plugging away, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Thank you. I I, I I, don't know what to say to that. <laughs> the farm? Uh, no, no, I'm I'm honestly very happy to hear another opinion on the subject. Um, more discussion is always a good thing, and uh, you know, on that subject, I'll admit I was a bit perturbed that our first arc was going to take place in Shi'ar space, but thankfully, uh, to me anyway, it's almost been rendered into background noise to the more character-driven bits that we're getting. As for the farm, you know, I'm 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 kind of trying to think about how. Like, how would I have received that story had it come after the Shi'ar arc wrapped up, right? Like, we have the Shi'ar Deathbird babysitting mission all done and dusted, and then we go to an arc at the farm for three issues or whatever it's going to be. Maybe I would have enjoyed it more. Um, Or maybe I would have just not have had such a severe reaction against it, because this felt like... It felt so disjointed. I mean, uh, we go from like a cliffhanger in in uh, issue two to just like a whole other thing in issue three. And then we keep with that for issue four. Then we go back to the other one for five. And we're going back to the other one for six. And and I guess we're going to come back to space for seven, unless, unless the farm has a fourth part. <laughs> but it's very, very strange. And I wonder if I'd have received it a little bit uh, better had it not been so, uh, so disjointed, you know, just finish one story, then start another, not this weird, whatever it is here, but, uh, but thank you so much for writing in and sharing your thoughts here. Um, I'm, I, this is the kind of stuff I want to hear. I, I know that there are a few listeners out there who have reached out and said that they, they hate the whole Hoxpox Pox Docs thing. And I'd love to hear some of their thoughts on it. Um, because I'm not crazy about all of it, I like a lot of it. I dislike a lot of it, as I've, you know, as I've talked about over the thirty-some odd hours I've been talking about it on the air so far. But uh, I'd love to hear uh, opinions, uh, agreeing, dissenting, whatever you want to call it. I, I love to hear uh, everybody's thoughts. But uh, if anyone out there is interested in sharing their thoughts, you can reach me at weirdcomicshistory at gmail or Ace Comics on Twitter, and or so you can do both. Why not? Uh, you can find the show notes and the stuff at chrisisoninfiniteearth. dot com. Also, xlapsed. dot There is the Facebook page Nineties X Men. A Tumblr page I haven't updated in a week and a half because I don't know how to use Tumblr. Um, also, the full audio archives are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com dot So, lots of listening hours for your listening ears. And uh, and uh, I. I I don't want to say anything too firm yet, but uh, I think we're going to have something, something ex-lapsed-y coming out pretty soon. Not not exactly ex-lapsed, but in the family that uh, might be interesting. Might It might trigger a knee-jerk reaction in a lot of people, or it might, uh, it might make people wonder if I lost whatever was left in my mind. So we'll see as we get there, but uh, it'll be a surprise when it happens, you know, somewhere down the line. Probably sooner than later. But uh, I think that's where we'll leave it for today. Uh, One last giant thank you to everyone for listening and engaging and writing in and sharing and all that stuff that helps me do this without uh, feeling like I'm wasting my time. So thank you all so, so much. But until next time, when it's uh, everybody's favorite day, Fallen Angels Day, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.